Want to see the stories that we have on the list? Hey, do you want to actually suggest a story to put on the list? The place to do that is superhumanregistrationpodcast.com. The world's not as simple as it used to be. It's not enough to be a good guy anymore. We have to be the best. The time has come. All will be accounted for. Or we will hunt them. Stand up. It's time to be the heroes we were always meant to be. Um, I'm pretty chipper about it because I just found out that there's like 20 boba places uh, within delivery distance of where I live. Oh, hey. And it's uh, kind of fantastic. I'm drinking on one right now. So if you hear any slurps and burps, that's why. See, I don't like tapioca, so I don't know if I'd like boba. Mm. You can get it without. The tea's just as good without. Oh, I thought the whole appeal was, you know, to have crap floating in your tea. Yeah, but also the bonus is that you get really good tea. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, also I got my, my big box of comics trying to do the my part and trying to help keep my comic book store in Salt Lake in business and emptied out my hold. I gotta get oh, my goodness. hold. Yeah, I'm behind. I no, I emptied out my hold. I bought everything. Um, it was pricey. Also, that's also a testament to how bad I am. Um, I'm reliable in that I pick up my hold every four, every three months. But like, well, that can add up on you. Yeah, I'm unreliable in that I don't pick up my hold for three months at a time. Um, yeah, it adds up. But um, yeah, I got a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff wrapped up. So like, this three-month stint was uh, considerably cheaper than my last three-month stint. Yeah, I'm actually super worried about the comics industry right now. There's a there's a very good chance that it's just going to die. Yeah, it's a scary... Or like, I mean, not die. Like, comics will be around because people will create comics, but, like, the direct market, the comic book shops, they're not getting any new material. No. Like, for a little while, but, I mean... No, it's done as of like now. If 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 they rely solely on Diamond, it's done right now. They didn't get anything this week. Right. And it, like there's a good chance that Diamond might not survive this. I I kind of hope they don't. <laughs> like I hate to say it because, you know, as a comic book fan, you want to support your comic book shop because those are people who like are very passionate about the hobby. Like it's where a lot of comic book creators kind of come from, or they do their networking through, like they build community, but yeah, like, and if, and if diamond goes down, it takes down comic book shops with them, but diamond is kind of toxic. Diamond is a monopoly. Yeah. It's awful. Yeah. And you know why they're not a monopoly It's because, uh, Oh, who's who, who publishes, um, bloodshot. Uh, that's valiant. Valiant. Uh, for a while, and I think I know they were doing it at the Nerd Store in Salt Lake City, was or West Valley City, Utah. Um, but I know several. I think the other several stores do it. You can actually they can order their comics directly from them and get them shipped directly from Valiant. Yeah. Um, at a much cheaper price than doing it through you know other the, the one other distributor. <laughs> but yeah, like I don't want to necessarily say that Valiant is the best comic book publisher that very few people talk about because there are a lot of great little publishers out there. I like Valiant a lot. I'm not a fan of what this, what they put out, but I like what they do in the industry. I am surprised at how much I, I like their comics. Not all of them, granted, 
but like Bloodshot in particular, like is a surprisingly compelling character. Does uh does Vin Diesel capture the nuance? Haven't seen the movie because you know <laughs> nobody has seen movies recently. We got to start actually getting into the episode here pretty quick, but I do have to share this now that you brought it up. <laughs> you know what the Do you know what the total gross for movie theaters was last weekend? Wasn't it like three thousand dollars? It was like five thousand dollars. That is sad. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's understandable. What two years ago though, March. Black Panther came out, made two billion dollars in the first, like in the in its run. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. I'm. I'm. Uh, that's like got to be one of the first places I go, because I I love going to the theater, and I hate that people are like, well, we'll just we'll just watch it at home. It bothers me. You know, it's it's I don't know one of the last places where we can have like that shared community live experience. You know, everything else. Yeah. TV shows everyone watches at their own rate. It's the only other place I can go and get bothered by the person sitting next to me chewing loudly on their popcorn. Okay, look. <laughs> whiner. You gotta go in the right showing. Like, you go at the midnight show or the late night show where everyone is there on purpose. It's not like, you know, the retired couple who are like, let's go out and see some that. pictures. You Everybody know. goes out there on purpose is the best description of that. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Because, like, I went to go see... Um, the way way back with Steve Carell, uh-huh. and there's a bunch of people in the movie. It's really good, and it was a Tuesday, Wait. so it was five buck Tuesday. What? Steve Carell was in that? And I'm not talking about the way back. I'm talking about the way way back from a couple of years ago. There, there's the a way, more way recent. Back was from like 2013. Yeah, it's an independent movie. Steve Carell and Sam oh Rockwell gosh. and Maya Rudolph and. Uh, crap. C.J. Craig from West Wing. <laughs> yeah, so Jamie. I saw this movie. Yeah, yeah, it's great. And forgot that Steve Carell was in it. Anyway, yeah. go on. Well, because he's, he's a jerk. He's like very out of character for Steve Carell. But, you know, that's the thing. So, no, it's a great movie, but we saw it... Um, I think it might have been for the first time. It might have been the second time. We saw it like Five Buck Tuesday. And there's this like, you know, these old ladies behind me like, now who is that? Oh, is that his friend? I bet his dad comes and saves him. What's going to... It's like, shut up! Like, ah, Just, yeah. That, go to a movie where people are seeing the movie on purpose. Not like, I want to go see a movie and I'll see whatever's on, you know. Okay. <laughs> no, like I saw Endgame. I saw Endgame on like a big, big screen, uh, like the ten thirty show, and like people went nuts, like cheering at all the right moments, and like they got all the reference and that kind of thing. You know, that's what I'm talking about. I I just want to say before before we actually start doing the podcast, um, one hundred percent my favorite showing of uh not even Endgame of uh, Infinity War. Uh, was the one where uh, there were a bunch of small children crying at the end of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> they were absolutely devastated, and I could taste the tears from the distance. And I just wish I could feel that raw emotion for like a superhero fictional character again. Because um, obviously the cynic in me is like, okay, cool, they'll be back next movie because you know Marvel likes money. Um, yeah. But I wish I could live in that fairy tale world where they're really dead <laughs> and cry. I want to cry again. <laughs> well, speaking of tasting tears, I think it's time to start talking about today's comics. At least one of which, you know, might be considered a tear jerker. Guys, I had to segue somehow. That's that's fair. I gave you nothing. And that's the way you that's the way you picked. <laughs> 
It's the Superhuman Registration <laughs> Podcast, a show where we talk about Marvel comic stuff, and it's great. And guys, it looks like Marvel Unlimited has a random comic button now. You lie to me, but I use the desktop version. <laughs> Is that an April Fool's Day joke you're trying to pull on me? No, I don't think so. On the on the front page of the app in the upper left corner, there are these two little rectangles with question marks in them. Oh. And if you tap it, it takes you to a random comic. <gasps> Child's Play, The New Warriors, 1990, number 46. My, my. Star Wars, Dr. Aphra, 2016, number 18. Dang it, you win. <laughs> I know how we're picking our new comics to read from here on out. <laughs> mm. If only. <laughs> Marvel Knights. <laughs> anyway, we're here to talk about a couple of comics, and which one do we want to start with tonight, guys? We got a Spider-Man and a Daredevil. It's win-win. That remains to be seen. I think... Oh. Oh? Uh, I say let's go with Daredevil. Yeah, I think we're going to talk about Spider-Man more because I know us. Because it's Spider-Man? <laughs> yeah. Spider-Man is amazing so, and can do uh, a lot of wrong. Yes. <laughs> we read Daredevil, The Man Without Fear from 1993, written by Frank Miller, penciled by John Romita Jr. And um, if you've seen an adaptation of Daredevil... Uh, you've seen a lot of this because, because man, Netflix, like they just took some of this and like put it straight on the screen. And, um, even the, uh, Ben Affleck movie, it's very heavily influenced by that. Cause this is a retelling of Daredevil's origin. We see Matt Murdock as a kid in Hell's Kitchen. Um, his dad is kind of a drunk. He's a kind of a, kind of a boxer. Not that great. He works as an enforcer for the local mob. Um, he uh, uh, support your local businesses. Yeah, hey, <laughs> it's a family business. Um, we see Stick finding uh, Matt and training him and uh, teaching him to do heroic stuff, though blind, leaping rooftops and and stuff like that. And uh, we see Batlin Jack go down. Uh, we get a little bit of Electra as well. I'm um, just trying it, the story. It's it's I don't know. I think you got to be familiar with it because I mean the Netflix show was unbelievable. It was like every I don't know. I mean everyone I know saw it. I don't know. We see Daredevil um, uh, murder some dudes, and uh, you know a lady falls out of a window, so that's rough. Um, he re, you know gets in a relationship with Elektra, realizes that they are they are the same in some ways, but very different ideologically. Um, I don't, I don't know what to say about that. Like we get a bit of the, the Kingpin origin. Um, Frank Miller, uh, took the Kingpin from being a Spider-Man villain to being a, uh, Daredevil villain, either in this run or maybe in his, cause he did a lot of time on Daredevil. Um, mm-hmm. so it wasn't, you know, it wasn't just Man Without Fear here. Um, but this was, you know, probably his most famous run, I would say. This is what, I mean, the Daredevil I know comes from this. Uh, I, I mean, I don't know how to summarize the story. It's is that, how he goes from, is that the Daredevil you know? This is the Daredevil you don't. don't. <laughs> <laughs> so it takes, it makes a serious villain out of uh, Kingpin. And it takes um, Daredevil, he goes from just, you know, blind lawyer to man in black vigilante all the way up to the red suit. That's where we go, you know, A to B is we get we get an origin story with little pieces of his overall arc in there. And really, I, I am not a fan of John Romita Jr. 
except I totally am in this run. I don't know. For whatever reason, the art works for me. I think that it looks like um, some of Tim Sale's best stuff, which I like, and you, I know that I don't know about you, Aldo. I don't think Stephen likes him, but I think that I can tell what Tim Sale is going for in many of you know, like in Long Halloween. There's a lot of panels in this that feel like um, what you know he's going for in that. Yeah, um, I, th- I I think I have to agree. So so here's the thing: I like John Romita Jr. Um, it took a while for him to grow on me. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to lie and say I loved them from the start. Um, but the layouts in this book are amazing. Yeah, they really are. I, th- I think that's kind of what elevated this book for me was just how good some of those, some of the layouts in this, in this thing. There's a lot of like, clear, readable action that's happening. Yeah, it's very clean, the whole book. Like there's, there's not too much detail. There's just enough. The tone is conveyed well without it being too cluttered or messy. Because, you know, there's like fights in the rain and stuff like that. Yeah. I'm looking at the last issue right now where there's, you know, the car crashes and they're chasing through the streets and, you know, the killer's got... Um, you know, a gun to the girl's head and all this stuff, but it's it's none of it feels like uh, other older books that we've read where it's like what like like long shot. Let's talk about that. What a mess. <laughs> we already did. We already talked yeah. about it. And I, never I'm not, again. I'm not gonna say John Romita Jr. or can I just call him Junior Jr. from now on? I'm just sure, gonna sure. call him Junior Jr. Um, <laughs> he never gets like super experimental here, but there's some really good pages with some really interesting layouts. Um, and I think in particular, one of my favorites, I think it was issue one. I don't have it pulled up in front of me cause I'm a fool. Um, but <laughs> it's, it's the one where it's, uh, it's like a nine panel, like a nine, like a three by three grid. And like every other grid is black. Every other square is black. And that's where the text boxes are. So you just get like these, uh, five squares of like Matt as a kid running around some really good stuff here. Yeah. Um, I don't dislike Tim Sale. Um, I do think that I have kind of negative associations with him because of his work with uh, Jeff Loeb that I'm not always the biggest fan of. Okay. Uh, and I, I like I really do need to be more careful about the way that I talk about things because it's really easy for me to just like get super contrary just to get contrary. I don't what, know you? if you guys no, noticed that. No, no, <laughs> no, no, Stephen. Ah, wow. I'm trying to be better about it. Trying I'm to be better about it. Anyway, learning like, so much. Yeah, so I I don't know that I see the the Tim Sale comparison necessarily, but I do agree that this is one of the best looking John Romita Jr. books I think I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. I don't love the way that he draws everybody. Like I'm not super oh, no. thrilled with his Electra. Yeah, there's a couple details. Yeah, that's just a little a little cheesecakey. I think I don't care for like the first panel. In the last issue, where it's Daredevil in the black outfit, kind of charging, the anatomy feels clunky. There, it's it's off somehow. It's just odd. It's a weird angle, and uh, that doesn't really work for me. Some of the faces aren't great, but man, like the way everything is laid out, like Aldo said, it's just mm-hmm. really great storytelling. And I don't know. I don't know how much of that is um, like specifically, like because Frank Miller's an artist too. You know, he he drew um, Wolverine and um, uh, that Wolverine and Cl- uh, Chris Claremont and yeah, the, the Wolverine uh, first like solo arc. But um, 
I don't know how much of his script, like, I, I, I haven't read any of his scripts. I don't know how they read. I don't know if it says, okay, you're going to put in a big picture of, you know, Daredevil in black just wailing on dudes, and then some smaller inserts of, um, you know, him doing the individual hits for all of these guys. And then, you know, you'll get a page of him just standing over a pile of bodies and, like, wailing on everybody. It's amazing. It's. Yeah. You know, it's the hallway fight scene from the second episode of the of the Netflix series. Seriously, yeah. like I want to go back and watch that, and then read this again, and then watch that again, and then read this again. It just, it's it's um, you know, a lot of really powerful moments, um, and kind of changing up. You know, I I listened to an interview, you know, getting ready for the podcast that he did, um, just talking about him taking over Daredevil for a while and how. Before, you know, he was um, like the, you know, poor man Spider-Man, you know, but this, you know, gave him, gave him some more depth and um, made the Kingpin a threat. And yeah, I don't know if this is the first time we see him in Elektra, like their history backstory, or if this is like, you know, paying homage to it, but I really liked it. And um, yeah, this would be one that I'd want to own, own like a physical copy of, I think. So what'd you guys think? Apart from what we've said already, I I, I loved it a bunch. Um, I think there's there's some I, I have some issues. I, I think uh, no no book is without flaws. Um, and I, so okay, so my my minor nitpick real fast. Um, I don't like the way they draw the cheekbones on Electra's face. It kind I of said if it was the cheekbones or the lips that were bothering me the it, most. It, the, the cheekbone, okay. the cheekbone yeah. lines kind of made it look like she had like what is it called, like a uh, Dahlia smile, black Dahlia. Oh goodness, that's that, darker than I was expecting. Uh, well, I, I mean, it just makes it look like the lips extend all the way up to her ears. I don't. It's weird. Oh, uh, I don't know what they were going for, but I didn't get it. Um, yeah, something is off, but I don't know. What. Yeah, but um, I actually I think it actually is the lips. Yeah, I, I didn't mind her design. I thought her design was okay. Um, I mean, it was a very '90s design, <laughs> but whatever. Um, I think the thing I liked quite a bit, and I've talked about this every time we read, like a classic book uh, from one of these, you know, writers who who can then now just parade around conventions and whatever. Um, but Frank Miller at at the top of his game is is a I, th- I think a great writer um and i think my favorite thing about this book and i think it's a little bit in line with some of the other books he's written he writes like catharsis really well and there's almost in all in most of the books i've read of his there's always like a consequence to like giving in to that catharsis and feeling that alleviation and in here when like matt is getting revenge on the mobsters that like killed his dad like it feels really good until it doesn't, <laughs> until like an innocent dies, and you're just like, oh, I guess the fun time's over. And and it's already too late to go back and undo all the, you know all of what you've done at that point. So yeah, exactly. It was pretty brutal because I was like, wait, Daredevil's a good guy, right? I was like, I don't remember this much killing. <laughs> so. And that's the other thing too is like Daredevil. Uh, well, Frank Miller, he's, you know, I think he gets a lot of crap nowadays for, like, making heroes dark or whatever, especially with, like, a lot of the books that he's written. But, like, he's good at that. Like, that's why he does that a bunch. Um, he's actually pretty good at giving heroes, like, a pretty dark background without 
necessarily making them look like an anti-hero. Like, Daredevil, to me, at least in this book, never really felt like an anti-hero. He just no. kind of killed some mobsters and then learned <laughs> not to. <laughs> he was, no, it felt like it's Matt Murdock and he's in this position. He's doing his best and like. This is just the world he lives in. Like, yeah. And sometimes yeah. life's, life's got to go. <laughs> I, I enjoy his, you know, his writing um, in this and in other things that I've read from him. But I, I haven't read anything too recently. I haven't read Sid and City or seen either one of those. But I'll just say this. I think he's, he's a much better writer than he is an artist. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, I mean, he has, he's, he's published books that he's drawn. So like, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Steven, you've been quiet. Yeah, I have. <laughs> Please do tell. Like, okay. Here so comes. here it comes. The Easter bunny got rabies. We got to put it down. Uh, it's going to be a little bit underwhelming. There's, there's, there, there's not that much buildup. Um, I don't like this book as much as you guys do. And I think it's just at the end of the day, I don't actually think I like Frank Miller that much. Hmm. That's fair. Yeah, and it, it's it's not necessarily like we we talk a lot about how Frank Miller nowadays is very you know he's he's gone a little crazy he's gone a little really hard into like I don't know this sort of like mean spirited type of storytelling Exe- and I just, execute with extreme prejudice type mentality yeah and there's like undercurrents of that here the entire way through and that bothers me more than I think, uh, I don't know. I think it bothers me more than it bothers a lot of people. Cause you guys are not alone in thinking that Frank Miller's daredevil and this book are like really good. There's just a lot of things about it that, that, that bother me like daredevil killing this unnamed, uh, dancer in the club or whatever it was. And just like not doing anything about it. So like, to me, that's, like, fine, if a hero does a bad thing, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're a bad person. And we're dealing with comic books where death is kind of cheap. But yeah. we're also dealing with, you know, the murder of an unnamed, innocent woman. So you've got some elements of fridging in there. Frank Miller, violence against women, not too great. And then you've got, you know, Daredevil is supposed to be a hero. If a hero does a bad thing, the hero should set the thing right. But this is showing that maybe Daredevil isn't quite the hero that he aspires to be or whatever. And he's not really a hero at this point anyway. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I get get all of that. Mm -hmm. That's just, like... I don't love it. I, this isn't the type of story that I really want to read. It's not what I come to superhero comics for. Now, if this is what you come here for, I would rather read this than most of the stuff that I've read from Frank Miller since then. You know, like this, this came out in, uh, what, like 93? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Uh, everything that I've read from Frank Miller since then, I've kind of like, Ugh, don't know, don't want to touch that anymore. But like, this is fine. It's just not my yeah. bag. I think I think there is something interesting um kind of talking about like you know like this isn't what you what you you know you Steven read comics for like who superhero comics you want a little bit more like uplifting positivity right um and I think it's one of the things that's interesting to me in this book is that for it kind of being as dark as it is there's quite a bit of like optimism in here like, sure, you get a lot of downturns with Daredevil kind of doubting himself and closing himself off. But I think the book overall doesn't have a message of, like, well, you just gotta murder a few dudes every once in a while. It, it, it kind of just ends with, like, you know, I'm here, 
and I just saved a child from human trafficking, and this is where I belong, and I have to do my best. It's a little optimistic. I'm not going to say it's, you know, light and fluffy. Oh, sorry, light and fluffy. Um, I mean, it's not. <laughs> but it's, it's oddly positive or optimistic in a way I didn't really expect it, you know, three issues into the, into the book. Yeah, I mean, it, it is... But the fact that Frank Miller's optimism involves like child trafficking and <laughs> you know prostitute murder, I think that says something. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You know, that's, that's I mean, it's New York Stevens <laughs> is what it is. You know, Hell's Kitchen you know Hell's Kitchen is a real place. Oh yeah, I've been there. Oh. Clinton. I thought I thought it was fake for like the longest time in my life. Because I was yeah. like, there's no way somebody would there's no way, like, a place called Hell's Kitchen would be a f- legally uh, respected and known. There's a Santa Claus, Indiana. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I mean, we can go through the list. No, it's fine. R- R- I- Rancho Cucamonga. I mean, come on. <laughs> Those are sounds. Hey, that's not a word. I l- <laughs> hey, that is, that's, uh, you know, actually, I don't even know if that's a word in Spanish. Aha, gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> um, but... But again, like there are things about this book that I like. Um, I I like John Romita Jr.'s art, especially especially the way he draws Kingpin. Yep, dude. I I think King Kingpin. I don't think he's an underrated villain because it's hard to be underrated when you are arguably you know the best villain in a massive multimedia franchise. Like Kingpin's up there. If he's not the best Marvel villain, he's up there. Um, I mean, from the the everything that was Marvel Cinematic Universe and Marvel Cinematic Universe adjacent, including the Netflix stuff. Like, it's Kingpin. I have a soft spot for Ego. I like Killmonger. You can make an argument for Thanos. Like, yeah, like, Kingpin is up there. And to have, like, such a powerful, uh, iconic portrayal of the character, uh, I mean, kudos to John Romita Jr. I think it's really great. I don't love... Frank Miller's dialogue because I think it's a little try hard, but at the same time I can acknowledge that if this is the sort of story you're going for, Miller's dialogue is definitely going to push the right buttons. Um, yeah, that's like again. I think this is a well-crafted book that's just not my thing, and that that's really all I got to say about it. I think we were just waiting for you to go. Womp. <laughs> <laughs> No, that's, I mean, that's fair. That's entirely fair. Uh, you know, art is subjective, and you are uh, wrong. <laughs> no, no, you're not. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know what else to say. I think I think it's a good book, I think. Really solid origin story. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there is a little wanton violence towards women. That, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's the undercurrent of misogyny that I, mm-hmm. I am really yeah. gra- like struggling with, and that's a constant problem with Frank Miller. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I uh, I do appreciate Electra kind of being super free spirited. <laughs> she kind of enjoys killing those thugs a bit too much, though. A little, yeah. I mean, you know, I think th- I think that's a little foreshadowy. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> just a little, just a little just a gross. Bit. Just a bit. <laughs> yeah, um, there's a lot of stuff going on in this story that uh, I feel like we. Uh, it must get paid off in the Daredevil series, which yes might be again like this might again be my 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 problem with it. But I read this and it's like 
okay, so you've got the Electra stuff, and then you've got the stuff with Stick, and then you've got the Kingpin showing up, and none of it really comes together, but all of it is treated like, you know, it's a super important event, uh, the super important moment in this character's development, and to me that makes it hang together less well as a story, and more like, this is a prologue. To to me, it kind of feels not so much. I I I, I I'm not saying I disagree with you, but to me, it doesn't feel like it's a setup. To me, it feels like a retcon. Um, mm. like like there's stuff they've been bringing up recently, and it feels like they're like, well, this wasn't part of the origin. So you know, kind of kind of the same way that DC does like a secret origin every ten or fifteen years, um, to like kind of tie in origin stuff into stuff that plays out or has been playing out recently that's kind of what this feels like to me where they're like well we created daredevil uh i don't know 30 years ago and uh we probably need to update his origin so it makes sense with with some of the stuff that's happening in the in the books probably i would assume the stuff with stick is probably the most relevant stuff where they're talking about training him and whatnot yeah i mean yeah. and I'm, I'm only saying this because daredevil did come out like in the 60s right so april 1964 which is only like the year after spider-man yeah huh that's why he's a poor man spider-man which is ironic because actually spider-man is literally a poor man's daredevil yeah (laughs) (laughs) it is weird how similar the two are i mean it's not weird in the sense that you know they were created roughly the same time by, you know, the yeah. same people or, well, hold on. It was, it was Lee, was it Lee and Kirby? No, Kirby had some, some, um, you know, influence, some, some things to say about the costume, that kind of thing. But it was Bill Everett was the artist. Oh, okay. And but Stan. like it's, it's Stan Lee. The, the main difference between Daredevil and Peter Parker is Daredevil is blind. But otherwise, you know, you've got superhuman acrobatics, slightly enhanced strength. Spider-Man's strength kind of goes up and down depending on who's writing him. And, in, like, enhanced senses. They're very similar characters. I've got to imagine that this had this had to be part of, um, like, a darker reimagining to separate him from Spidey. No, it was Stan Possibly. needed a new hero, and he was like, what if he was blind? And no, what I mean, I mean this specific instance... <laughs> Oh, okay. Was like was like them going like oh spider we can't have two happy go lucky people swinging around New York let's make one of them dark. <laughs> I'm trying to think um, like foggy and and uh, like I'm trying to see what if Mary Jane but she's a ninja who kills people. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Wally Wood introduced his modern red costume in issue seven because it used to be yellow. Um, he fought the owl and stilt man, so there you go. Hey, don't forget Leapfrog. Yeah, well, of course not. No, can't forget Leapfrog. Um, <laughs> went a little sci-fi in the 70s. and, and I mean, who didn't, though? Yeah. Well, sure. I mean, I think we all went a little sci-fi in the 70s. It was... Literally none of us were alive in the 70s. You don't know that, yeah. Stephen, time travel. You don't know if we've invented it yet? Good point. Maybe one of us will have been alive in the 70s. <laughs> but not yet. 
Miller <laughs> took the step of essentially ignoring all of Daredevil's continuity prior to his run on the series. On the occasions where older villains and supporting casts were used, their characterizations when history with Daredevil were reworked or overwritten. Most prominently, dedicated and loving father Jack Murdoch was reimagined as a drunkard who was physically who physically abused his son Matt. Uh, entirely revising Daredevil's reason for becoming a lawyer. You know, when he's like, I'll learn the law. Yeah, because that's, that's what I think when my parent hits me at the age of seven. Yeah. I'm going to become a lawyer. Yeah. Okay, but this is, okay, this is actually part of the problem that I have with, with this story, is, like, if Daredevil is a character who has respect for the law and then breaks the law, you know? Uh-huh. Like, that, that doesn't gel like his whole point is like he likes the law because the law sets the rules and the rules keep people safe and the rules provide structure in an otherwise meaningless world and then when he breaks the rules he's like oh whoops i did a boo-boo let's go keep the rules again without following the rules for what you do when you break the rule you know it like that it actually bothers me a little bit but also i mean to be fair third time's the charm because the first two times he breaks the law like it backfires on him um and it's not until he murders somebody for the sake of somebody else other than himself that like it really kind of pays off. Um, and I think and I think that's a little important in the sense that, like every time he was doing stuff for himself, um, it it really just backfired on him, right? Like well, getting, getting. I mean, it didn't backfire on him. It backfired on the dancer in the club that he threw out the window. I mean, it backfired on him when he was in a frozen ice lake. Granted, that's not as bad as falling out of a window. <laughs> your death but sure. like you know still it's a downer on your evening um i don't know <laughs> i think frank miller was trying to like b- because of how he's you know lawyer by day vigilante by night like him being able to do both things i think frank miller i don't know if he introduced introduced uh, matt murdoch's catholicism but he, he seemed to think in this interview that i was watching that like him being catholic was part of him being able to do both of those things but i don't know how that works with catholicism <laughs> Oh, it yeah, also, like, well, he repents a bunch. Yeah, like, John, you're a religious person. You are familiar with the concept of guilt. Yeah, I don't think that you can, like, just turn it off. Like, Well, you don't, and that's actually, that's yeah. one of the aspects of the character of Daredevil that I find really compelling. Because, yeah. again, religious person, myself, I am also familiar with the concept of guilt. Sure. And, you know, that, that level of, like, doing things that you feel are wrong and not stopping them but feeling super bad about it. Like, I, I can sympathize with that mm-hmm. until it gets to the point where you're killing people. I mean, I yeah. sympathize with that every time I down a whole package of Oreos, and I know I shouldn't, <laughs> but it's the third pack this week, and I just can't stop. What am I going to do? Go out? I can't. <laughs> Not until the Oreos are gone. <laughs> exactly. You know, I'll just sit in my car listening to the Black Stripes, at, at the White Stripes for like an hour at full volume while eating a box full of Oreos. This is my new normal. I can just see you now, like the hardest button to button. Now I got okay. Now I'm gonna be. Now you guys can talk amongst yourselves. I'm gonna be trying to work uh, Oreos and white stuff and into icky thump. Hold on. <laughs> um, I, I, I was gonna say, yeah, I think I think the aspect of of his Catholicism not really being prominent here is a little weird. Um, because I'm really used to that. I like that. Uh, well, I'm I think not that, a, that was still like a new, like that was something to still be introduced. I yeah, I don't know. Um, and I would guess that you are correct. Um, but it is it is a little weird that they had that whole thing with the nun, 
who like uh, no my dad a fairly attractive nun apparently um who like would talk to him and she and he would feel her cross uh, so he knew she had she he knew she had a cross on him on her uh words are hard um but then she's like don't tell anybody about your devil powers <laughs> why how is she involved well, traditionally the um christians are against the devil you see he's the bad guy Oh, he's a guardian devil. <laughs> we didn't read Guardian Devil. We read Man Without Fear. Oh, you're right. Also, I I thought it was I thought it was dumb that Daredevil was like the nickname that like his bullies gave him because his dad was the devil. I disliked that. Actually. I was not yeah, a fan. Felt, that felt a little forced. I was like, I'm sorry. Daredevil would be a cool nickname to have. <laughs> yeah. Screw you. <laughs> I don't know how you get it. Like kids don't jump buses at recess. Like (laughs) seriously, like that's, that's the way you get that nickname. This is, this is such a weird little plot point. It's like, what, what's wrong with you? Oh man, the kids at school called me razor cool shades. And I'm a, (laughs) 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 razor cool shades. (laughs) So I've never, I've never known anything about stick. Um, he's always shown up in some of the things I've, I've watched or read, but like, that's been the extent of it is he shows up. Um, but I, I kind of, I love hate that the person who's part of his secret council of training children, um, his name is stone. Yeah. And it sticks (laughs) and stones and they, and they break bones. Oh, so the sister. Okay, so I just looked this up. I'm sorry because I'm dumb. Uh, so I looked this up. Three? No. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so the sister that was visiting him, the nun, that was his mom. Mm-hmm. That's Sister Maggie. Mm-hmm. And Maggie is the name that his drunk dad would yell out while he was being drunk and being a dad in the living room. And I don't know at what point in the comics that became a thing. Wait, does he yell Maggie in this comic? Yeah. Okay, well then. Well, he like murmurs. I don't know. It's a book. I can't hear. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. Hold on. I forgot. I forgot. It's fine. I hit it. I hit a sore spot. (laughs) (laughs) She's. uh, I don't know. She was created uh, seven years prior to this book. Do we have anything else to say apart from the continuity of this? Is all weird. I mean, I don't really. I've said my piece. I. I. I feel like I've. Focused on, like, the negative stuff, but, uh, like, it's not bad. Like, I don't regret reading this. I think it was it was fine, and, you know, if I were in a different mindset and maybe the world weren't entirely terrible right now, I might even like it. It's just, right now, this is definitely not what I want out of my escapist entertainment. <laughs> All right, so should we talk about the poor man's Daredevil? <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's talk about Spider-Man life story. Oh, man, Spider-Man life story. Boy, let me let me tell you about that. Uh, <laughs> I'm just stalling for my notes. Um, anyway, Spider-Man, <laughs> Spider-Man Life Story is a Spider-Man book uh, written in 2019 by Juan Chip Zdarsky, and his name's not Juan Chip Zdarsky. I didn't say Juan Chips. <laughs> I heard you say Juan Chips Zdarsky. <laughs> I said do by Juan Chips. Go, do Juan oh, Chips Zdarsky. Thanks for insulting my, my second language, Stephen. Do Juan chips Wait, go better on. with tortillas? No. Gosh dang it. 
I just want to know, do wand chips go better with guacamole <laughs> or salsa? That's all I wanted to know. <laughs> it's also it's also penciled by uh, Mark Bagley. Uh, fun fun fact: the covers are are done by Chips Zdarsky. I like them. There's really good covers here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the premise of Spider-Man Life Story is it's an alternate timeline retelling of the Spider-Man uh, and his many adventures. Uh, from the 60s, the premise here being that there is no sliding timescale that Marvel implements. Um, and everything happens to him in, like, quote-unquote, real time. So, Spider-Man Life Story Issue 1 starts out in the 60s. Spider-Man, or Peter Parker, is in his early 20s. He's going to college. He's been Spider-Man for a, for a bit. Um, and by the time we get to Issue 6... He is, hold on, let me do math, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years old. Um, By the time we get to Spider-Man, life story, number six, the tens. Um, And that's kind of the naming convention for every issue is, you know, the 60s, the 70s, 80s, 90s, the aughts, and the aught tens. The oddies and the naughties, as I like to call them. (laughs) God. (laughs) Oh, gosh. That, uh, ah. Gross! I can't I don't, actually. That is literally the first time I've ever said. I that. can't unhear that. Um. <laughs> so, Watch so th- this podcast now. Yeah. So, so if you've ever been, you know, even semi acquainted with Spider Man stories, um, or the greatest hits, this is really a greatest hits collection of um, a few of his stories. So we start out with him and the whole Goblin fight, or the and, and, you know Green Goblin figuring out who he is. Then we move on to the seventies. 80s, 90s, and so we get kind of small bits of stuff like Secret Wars, Craven the Hunter. Uh, there's like a few dots to other things like Otto Octavius marrying Aunt May. At the end, that we have uh, Miles Morales. Yeah, we have Superior Spider-Man stuff that happens. Miles Morales. We have the whole thing with the spider totems, which doesn't matter how much I love Spider-Man, that will always seem a little dumb to me. Um, so it, it, we kind of get a lot, but there's a lot of stuff that's been recontextualized, one, for age, and two, for a lot of events that are happening here. So not only does it ignore the sliding time scale, but a f- it kind of does a little Watchmen thing where real history has been affected by the presence of superheroes. So early on, we have, you know, kind of the big hitters, right? We have Iron Man in the 60s, Ant-Man, Reed Richards, uh, Captain America, and all that stuff in the 60s. and and they ex- and Iron Man essentially extends the Vietnam War. The Cold War is a bit of a bigger thing, especially because it happens right when the superheroes get transported to the Secret Wars event, where they're all on a battle world. It's not the same secret story, Secret War, <laughs> that we read. It's the original one. Um, Which we don't know anything about for yet. now. <sighs> Um, so, so you while just that did anime breathing there, how dare you? <laughs> yeah. So, so there's like, so there's quite a few things that are recontextualized. I, it's, it's kind of a bigger story than to that, that can, I, that can like succinctly summarize. Um, so I'm just going to call it like a greatest hits collection, uh, of, of a lot of like classic Spider-Man stories, which I think is fair. There's, there's a clone saga thing in here too. Uh, he actually marries Gwen Stacy for a bit. And there's just a, there's just a few things, so that's that's kind of where I'm going to leave up the summary. It's a really good book, though I think. Uh, 
I want to hear what you guys think about it because I read this as it was coming out. So reading it again for the podcast was just kind of a delight for me, and I picked up on a few details I hadn't before. So I want to I want to hear what you guys what you guys think. It's interesting. Like I was not super impressed with it until the end of the first issue. And the beginning of the second when, you know, Flash Thompson goes off to uh, fight in, in Vietnam and winds up dying. And that's when we find out that, uh, you know, Parker winds up marrying Gwen Stacy and he feels guilt over never enlisting in the Vietnam War. And that event kind of winds up defining the rest of his life. Up until that point, it kind of felt like, I mean, up until that point being, you know, one-sixth of the way through the series, so <laughs> whatever. Sure. It just felt like something that I'd seen before from Spider-Man. And I wasn't super into it, but then when we started getting into the real diversions from the timeline, it was like, oh, this is actually really interesting. And so I got engaged, and I read through it. And it I was... thought you were engaged like a year ago, Stephen. No, a year ago I was married. Oh. A year and a half ago, uh... <laughs> pick one Uh, but anyway yeah like so i thought it was interesting the things that they were doing with the spider-man timeline i wish i actually wish that we saw some of the events that were just kind of getting glossed over because they felt really important yeah there's there's a lot of stuff here that happens that is meant for you to either already know or you have to go look it up in a wiki somewhere Right, like you are expected to know what happened in Civil War. You're expected to know right. what happened in Secret Wars, both of them, because both of the Secret Wars wind up happening. No. They do Just mention, a... like, well, okay, the second Secret Wars is not quite as explicit, but Doctor Doom oh, like, yes, out yes. all of the superheroes in the, the, in the 2010s. Yes, you're correct. I forgot about that. Yeah. I thought it was, he took over the whole world. I thought that was the thing. Well, but, I mean, he took out the superheroes and took over the world. I see. Yeah. And so, like, some of that stuff I kind of wish we got to see. But we do get to see, like, the important stuff with Parker himself. And we see, like, all of the beats from all the Spider-Man stories. Yeah. This book also has uh, very little chill. Um, Stuff is pretty... Stuff is pretty, like, I don't want to say explicit, because it's not, like swearing but like they don't they way don't hide that like in the 80s or 70s or whatever like harry osborne was just straight up doing drugs just mixing uppers and downers oh yeah uh, yeah oh, like, yeah that was that they that say was that he's mixing uppers and downers that was the 70s yeah like that's just a thing that straight up happens uh like it's not alluded to yeah no it like as much as i like starsky uh i was surprised at how Grim is not the word that I want for this, but it's very serious. Like, the tone is very... Yeah, it's blunt. And I would almost go so far as to say it's, like, somber and philosophical. Yeah, there's... there's So, I mean, kind of like... Uh, like I was talking about Daredevil. Um, I think this book is surprisingly dark for it being a Spider-Man book where, like, you just kind of get to see him age normally. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's still optimistic because it's still a Spider-Man book, but Spider-Man does not get his, like, Peter Parker does not really get a chance to do the, he, I don't know, I'm trying to phrase this, I'm trying to say, he doesn't get a chance to do the right thing, because he does, that's his thing, but it's not 
like a happy-go-lucky sort of way. Like every time he takes time for himself or he decides he's going to do something for himself, he's constantly paying the consequences for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just kind of feels, it just kind of reiterates that whole Spider-Man thing where like he just can't, he can't stop being Spider-Man because people will die and it will be his fault. Do you think yeah. that's that's because we're getting a lot of time? Like we, we're getting a decade per book. And so the events, we're getting them, you know, faster and a lot of things are happening in a short amount of time as far as like the pages are concerned. So do you think maybe it just didn't have enough time to breathe? Like I thought that the Miles Warren story where he had clones of all these guys was like creepy and like there could have been like that just came out of nowhere. I don't know if that's something that he also did in the books. I mean, there was the clone saga, obviously, but like, was there ever a clone of Gwen Stacy? Yeah. Yes, there was. Okay. Then that was, that was, I take it all back. That was new to me. And I'll just read those issues and learn what I was supposed to know going in. I mean, I knew he was the Jackal, but that's it. Oh, yeah, he's, he's the, the Jackal. jackal. Yeah, We've yeah. read Miles Warren. Okay, yeah. never yeah. mind. I knew that, no, but and, I didn't know that he had, he had done the Gwen Stacy clone. Like, that was jarring. Yeah, no, that was a thing that happened. That's why I said they did both clone sagas. Because there was a clone saga in the 70s. And then there was a clone saga in the 90s. And then there's been, like, there have been repeated callbacks to Spider-Man and cloning all, like, throughout the, the past 10, 15 years as well. So, like, this book riffs on so many things that happen over and over and over again in Spider-Man. And it's all really good. Like, even if it harkens back to the Moreland stuff from the mid-2000s, which is not something I've ever read but always sounded really interesting to me. Um, the one thing it doesn't do is one more day. I wonder why that could be. It's because it's because you can have a hero get divorced and still ha- be a hero. I was I was like, going to say it actually to me it felt like he kind of did it cuz they did that. Like he chose right. his aunt over his marriage. But I think the thing that this taken in tandem with Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, like the thing that these two stories really illustrate is that Peter Parker can have a relationship with Mary Jane, fan favorite character, completely blow up and we will still be there for him. And you don't have to go through these really contrived hoops to get rid of that relationship because just having them break up like mature adults still works and we still like them. And I, and I think it works. One, I think it, I think it works because Spider-Man is such an empathetic character. Um, and I think the plight here is like a very real thing. Um, like, not to get too into like my own personal life, but I have witnessed my parents get into that same argument over my grandma. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, yeah. And it's it's a very real thing that tests people's relationships. And add on top of that, all the superheroing stuff, uh, you know, then mm-hmm. getting taken away to Battle World, uh, <laughs> you know, things I entirely relate to. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, you know, I think that's part of, I, I think I'm just trying to say Joe Casada doesn't understand Spider-Man fans as good as he thinks he does. <laughs> Cause as long as you, as long as you, as long as Spider-Man is empathetic and real, um, I think it works. I mean, even when he's successful with Parker industries, he still deals with very real issues. Yeah. Uh, you know, such as his responsibilities outside of work, uh, his personal life outside of his responsibilities, 
um, you know, kind of caring for other people that have to work under him and their safety. And it's like very real things that like, if you've ever been in a small business, it's very real things. Um, granted, we're not creating, you know, super robots for Spider-Man. We're just selling comic books, but like, <laughs> uh, of course we're not. <laughs> yeah. We're not doing the science. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I just, I just think as long as you know you keep Spider Man grounded, or not Spider Man, as long as you keep Peter Parker grounded, you can do a lot. You can really mess his life, and people will uh, still read him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you're saying, you know what you said, but you know three times the length. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness. Um, yeah, like gosh, there was there was a lot in this. Um, one thing that I do think is missing from it, and I was surprised again because my main association with Zdarsky is that he's kind of a funny guy. This is not a funny book. Which is surprising for a Spider-Man book. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, there's like a little bit of humor here and there, but this book really does focus on kind of putting him through the ringer. <laughs> yeah. Well, when you stack up all of the things that have happened to him, that you know... There are more negatives than positives, really, and so it's it's tough getting them all at once like this. I think we don't have like we don't have a lot of fights where he's you know up on the building, cracking wise and dodging you know cars being thrown at him by you know Doc Ock or somebody. We're we're getting you know the survey course of the life of Spider Man, so we don't have time to you know joke around. Yeah, it's more yeah. just acknowledge that he's a jokey guy. Like he says it. To Miles, like, yeah, you got to keep a sense of humor about this stuff, you know. You're too serious all the time, and it's like you're too serious all the time. I've been reading all these pages, and you haven't, you know, cracked wise as often as you mm -hmm. usually do. I think these books could have benefited from being longer, and that's not something I say very often. <laughs> <laughs> this is Aldo, right? <laughs> but it is like John, what you were saying earlier. It's it's not just like you know one decade is covered in every book. It's yeah. like you get a day or two days in every issue and then you skip a decade. And that's, that's a lot. That's a lot of material that you are just completely glossing over. And, and I, you know, they try, they, they try to like fill in some of those slots. Um, like, like when the whole Moreland thing is happening, and he just, you know, bearded Peter Parker comes in and he's like, oh, no, Ezekiel was right. And everybody's like, who's Ezekiel? And he's like, well, he's a creepy guy who uh, found me one day and told me I was a spider totem. Anyways, uh, let's yeah. move on. Let's move on to a flashback back of me. Punching. Yeah. yeah, let's let's go back to a flashback of me helping during 9-11. <laughs> yeah, um, which like one, that's one of the things that I really did appreciate about this book is how much it tied in like real world events yeah. in a way that was like meaningful and respectful to those events, which is hard to do. Like it's hard to put superheroes into nine 11. It is because if we had superheroes, then yeah, they, they did an issue where it was like, we just didn't know. And, and we weren't, it was too late to stop it. Kind of like that was their. Yeah. It's, it's a good effort, but. I th that's, there's something really kind of dumb about Doctor Doom, like looking at the at the at the, at the uh, rubble of 9/11 and just being like, "Oh, those jerks!" And it's like, yeah. "Oh, he cries." Yeah, and it's yeah. like, uh, 
Doom, remember how many times you've tried to do like mass genocide? Yeah. <laughs> no, I think um it it was nice how it tied in real world events, kind of similar to uh, Marvels a little bit. It felt a little bit like that. Um, it did feel like Marvels, didn't it? I, yeah. I definitely got a similar vibe. But I think this does it better because it's I don't know. Maybe is it just because it's Spider Man? Because like Marvels is focused on you know a, a handful of characters, but this is I don't know. Maybe it is just because it's Spider Man and there's you know they're they're creating their own timeline by putting together things that you like having having Craven's last hunt, but involving the venom symbiote was interesting and having the venom yeah. symbi- like have, and having them come back. Cause by the time we got to where we see Craven again, Craven venom, I'd forgotten about him and it was like, Oh, twist. And so yeah. And he, I enjoyed and, that. And the fact that he's just bones, like the, the venom suit is just piloting him. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a thing that comes up in other comics, I yep. feel like. It has yeah. come up, yeah. And Superior Spider-Man being Miles Morales. Yeah. Was wild. Yeah, that yep. was that was actually probably my favorite twist. Um, oh, I think issue six is far and away the strongest of them all. Yeah. Because it brings everything together in a way that's super optimistic, and it gives me that sort of, like, hopefulness that I didn't get from Daredevil. Yeah. Yeah. That last page always brings the tear to my eye. Every yeah. single time I've read this book, uh, I cry a little bit. That little bit at the end where he's it's where he's recounting the dream that he's. So at the beginning of issue six, he's telling Mary Jane about a dream that he has, um, which is the dream of of when his uncle Ben gets gets shot. When it's the guy that's stealing from the wrestling promoter he running away. Him, but... Yeah, and so Mary Jane cuts him off, and she's like, "You've had this dream like a billion times. I know it's fine. Whatever. Go out. Go into outer space." Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then, like at the end, when he's like, you know, he's in he's caught in the middle of this explosion of this exploding space station, uh, helping to save save Earth from the doom rain. Essentially, he he reveals that his dream is that he stops the guy. Yeah, it's like ah, oh, my heart. I'm actually I'm really fighting tears back right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that ending's really good. And then there's like this implication that you know. Miles is getting the Spider-Man costume, and so in that dream bit, like, is it Peter Parker behind the mask, or is it Miles? And is Miles the one who's, like, stopping the guy? You know, it's that element of superhero legacy that is really, really good, and it makes me wish that comics would just, like, commit to actually doing legacies, where you have the next generation... Like, they're going to make their own mistakes, but they do some things better than the previous yeah. generation did, you know? Like, yeah, like, what if Batman actually stayed dead for once, and, you know... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Never going to happen. I yeah. mean, it would be nice, because Batman, again, like, we don't need to get off on this tangent, but, like, Batman isn't very good at, like, actually reforming his villains and... Uh, you know, making Gotham a better place. But you know what Batman is surprisingly good at? Raising kids. Yeah. <laughs> his, yeah. his Bat family grows every, like, you know, I think, I don't know, every every decade, every every generation gets a new... Yeah. Remember that time he adopted a son and that son got murdered and then that son came back to life and became a murderer and then somehow he reformed him and now he's part of the family again? Like, that's a... Jason Todd actually has a genuinely interesting story. 
He does. I've fallen off him recently, but I've read some stuff, just like bits and pieces, like panels of comics that I've seen people share on Instagram that make me think a lot has happened with Jason Todd recently that I might need to catch up on. Yeah, Jason Todd's become part of the Bat family. Like, he he hangs out. He's, I mean, he still murders people with guns, but... <laughs> well, well, he Okay, he, that makes him number eight on the speed dial instead of seven, so... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, he's right. But, he's after Tim Drake and he's before Bluebird. Yeah. There you go. And it's one of those things where I kind of, I, as much as I love Spider-Man and I, I love Spider-Man a lot. Um, actually, time, I don't know if you kept it in or if you're going to keep it in, but I got my hold uh, in the mail today, like my la- the last three months. Uh, six out of the 10 titles I have are Spider-Man titles. Jeez. Uh, it's like, and that's, and here's, here's where I'm going with this. A lot of those books are, or I, half of those books are like legacy books. Uh, so you have like Spider-Gwen and, and Miles Morales who are kind of off doing their own thing. The other books are like Mary Jane, Gwen Stacy, and Black Hat. Um, and it's like Spider-Man is also in the perfect position to like retire him and let him become a, a teacher, a guide. Mm-hmm. And and like we I mean we can't because we just can't let go of of you know these classic characters. We don't like to give up our toys. Yeah, and and just like Batman, he's like in this perfect position of legacy where he can pass on the torch to both you know a reborn Gwen Stacy and a Miles Morales. But no, no, we got we got to keep him. We got to equip him. He's mm-hmm. he's a multi billion dollar money printing machine. Yeah, and that's a shame. Um... But that's not something that's ever going to go away, I think, as long as as you... Well, it's just never going to go away. Yeah. <laughs> but it sucks, because the storytelling potentials are really good. The problem is those potentials come with them risk. And yeah. that risk is that the next character isn't going to be as popular. Yeah. Like, I love me Avatar The Last Airbender. I think it's pretty hard to argue that Legend of Korra was less popular. No, that's... I mean, it was a different audience, so... Yeah, I think they're both good. Yeah, no, I like. I think they're both good. I I think it's a good um, expansion of the original story and mod. Like you know, the the seeing how the world changed because of it, and the like the like just looking at the pro bending arena, right? Like this was something that was rare and crazy back in the day, and then later, like now, it's so popular and so common that it's become a sport, and all these different countries live together, and and it's. I'm not. I'm not gonna say Korra was set up to fail, but Korra was definitely not set up to succeed. Screwed over by the network, I think, is a fair way to put that. Yes. Mm-hmm. Anyways, join us next time on the uh, Avatar: The Last Podcast. <laughs> yeah. We'll be recommending <laughs> things that you can do instead of seeing the M Night Shyamalan movie, yeah. which include getting a root canal, oh, uh, listening gosh. to a beginning trombone player play their <laughs> scales. <laughs> Or just hammering your thumb for an hour and a half yeah. with a big hammer. <laughs> That's important. <sighs> so back to Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Do we have anything else to say? I liked it. I thought it was good. Oh, the art and the uh, coloring were... The coloring stood out to me, and the art was consistent. And I think they tried to um, change up the style a bit with each decade. Yes. Um, obviously, like the characters' costumes and costumes, you know, clothing and everything, like that. That style-wise was changed up, but even the art style, I think, I don't know. It felt like a little bit they were, like they were uh, not the not emulating, but like bringing in 
some of that flavor from those decades. Yeah. Because, yeah. like, the 90s and early 2000s stuff, um, it really has some of those, like, exaggerated muscle depictions that you kind of see. Like, not necessarily in people's actual muscles, but, like, a lot of extra definition on, like, their faces and, like, their bodies. And it's, like, super like, exaggerated. There's a lot of, like, exaggeration in those books. There's a lot of, like, flashes, too, like, behind characters. Like, every time somebody's surprised, it's like there's a light bulb behind them. Uh, and one of the things that's in the earlier books, I don't know if you guys picked up on this, I like the first and second book, and I want to say maybe a little bit in the third, they did a lot of those panels like from the 60s where it's just the head. Yeah. Like, and, there's, and it's not that like you can't see that like the body, it's just the head has only been drawn. And they do that quite, quite a bit, and I, I thought that was neat. Mm-hmm. There's a good one of um, Reed Richards. Yep. Oh, bearded Reed Richards. I do like his look and the fact that <gasps> Sue left him for Namor. Da da da. Oh yeah. Oh, also they never they never made up. No. I don't know if you guys picked up on that. Reed Richards spent his life alone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is actually getting into the like another thing that I really like is that this book doesn't try to pretend that Reed Richards and Iron Man are like paragons of moral virtue. Iron Man is the closest this book has to like a series antagonist. Yeah. He's just not a good guy. And I am fine with that. Cause you know what? That guy sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I also like that, uh, Spider-Man. Okay. Obviously, the point of this book is that Spider-Man ages, but I love the fact that he actually, like, legitimately ages. Um, yeah. Like, and not so much in the sense that, like, you know, Captain America gets wiser, but he's still Captain America. Like, no, Spider-Man gets slow. He gets weaker. He needs assistance from his suits. Like, it's it's interesting to have, like, those details kind of pointed out. Yeah. I was glad that they, they stuck to that, and it wasn't just like, we're going to salt and pepper his hair in this issue, the next one it's going to go white, and then, uh, you know, later we'll add some more wrinkles. It was like, no, he's, like, legitimately going through it. I had to do the math every time. I was like, okay, 15 and 62, so he was born in 47. So, okay, by the by the 10s, he's going to be, like, pushing in his 70s or later, and ooh, man. So he and like it's not just his face that gets like older, like yeah. it, maybe it's just me, but like his body feels like it's like they drawn it like stockier, like he's yeah, getting it, a little it, thicker. Absolutely, no, I noticed that too. Yeah, yeah. By the time you get to like the last suit, which I mean, he's still like in good shape, right? Like because he's Spider Man. Yeah. Um, yeah. but like he's he's thicker. Um, mm-hmm. and it's just kind of like that's just what happens, right? Like your metabolism slows down. Even his like super spider. Metabolism has got to slow down at some point. Um, yeah, but yeah, no, it's it's a hard book to read, honestly. But ultimately, optimistic. It's just hard to like. I don't know. This is not the time that I want to be thinking about my own mortality. I'm sorry. So much, so much of what's going on right now is just like really informing the way that I, you know. And processing that's because that's because media exists in context and context oh. is constantly evolving yeah and that's that's the most interesting part I think about this whole experiment where we're you know reading all of these comics and ranking them it's like reading this book now versus reading this book last year two completely different experiences yeah absolutely 
I I did not feel this book was as. Also, I think it depends on how and how you're reading it, right? Um, because like Breaking Bad hits different when you're binging it as opposed to when you're reading it, like when you're watching it weekly, because hmm. you have time to process it. So like it doesn't like hit you. It, it hits a little harder, but not like as consistently. And that's how this book felt to me. Um, when I had read it in the single issues coming out monthly, it felt like the pacing for it. I I never felt like Spider Man was just constantly getting you know, drag through the dirt. Um, as opposed to this time when I read the whole thing, you know, in, in one sitting. Uh, well, it's like, easier to spot themes and trends when they're all presented in front of you. Yeah, exactly. You know, so, when you have to wait and think about, you know, what's going to happen. And then whenever, whatever happens, happens, then you're, you know, you throw out your old, your old ideas. And this one, you just, everything is presented to you all at once. So yeah. So there's no time to kind of dwell on it. Like, yeah, and so so for me, I think one of the biggest differences between reading it as it was coming out and reading it this time was that when he was doing stuff for himself, and, and I mean that like retiring retiring to Portland, <laughs> um, <laughs> I could be living next. I could be living next to Spider Man. <laughs> so when he does th- when he does things like that, when I was reading it originally, I was like, oh, good for him. Like he's doing stuff for himself. It's it's kind of important or it's kind of nice to finally really see that him doing like these things, right. Where he's like, I'm going to take over, I'm going to take over and be in charge of Parker industries. Um, he pursues a relationship with Jessica Jones, which leads me to imply that, uh, Luke Cage never, never got married to Jessica. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you guys picked up on that either. Um, that weird. Not, it could have been later on. Cause who did he know? Did he know Jessica? Yeah. He knew Jessica Jones from high school, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so maybe they're playing off of that as opposed to, you know, moving Luke Cage out of the picture. Yeah. Because I don't think, does she come back in later comics at all? Uh, I don't think so. I don't so. think so. I don't think so. A- anyway, so like, that stuff to me was like, oh, okay. But reading it this time, I'm just like, if, it, I was like, you can't do that. Like, that's not, you, like, you shouldn't do that. You have, like, your responsibility. It's like, you know how this, I was like, you know how this is going to turn out, Spidey. We go through this every decade. You're going to be happy, and then crap is going to hit the fan. (laughs) Somebody's going to die. Yeah. I was, actually, the one thing I was happy with was that uh, his son, Benji, does not die. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was worried about that. I was. I I did for a while there, and I was like, no, dang it. Everybody named Ben dies. Uh, That was a theme I picked up this time. Except that he didn't. He was just uh, left handicapped for a bit, and that's, all things considered, that's not bad. Yeah. Yeah, and it was a good way that it happened. Like, again, it's a little bit fridgy, but the character wasn't developed enough for me to care. Um, <laughs> but he, like, you know, he figures out how to beat Morlin and gives up a little bit of his life to make sure that his sister can save the day. And then his sister gets to go on and be a superhero. And he, like, still is around, and he's doing the support role. He's kind of pulling the Oracle sort of thing is kind of how I gathered that. Yeah. He's offering support back home, and that's that's not a bad role to be in. Um, and he kind of got to do it on his own terms too. So, like, anyway, it was a good it was a good little touch. Yeah, like that. that, and that's the thing is like I feel like if they really wanted to, every issue in here could have been its own like five issue series. Every yeah. every decade in here really could, especially with the writing, the quality of the writing or not writing. Uh, well, I mean, yes, it's good writing, but like the quality of the storytelling here. I think could have been greatly expanded if each issue, if each decade had been like its own 
five issue miniseries. But then that would have been, uh, that's you know, a tough slog. Like, yeah, that's a slippery slope. That's a long. That's fifty books. No, wait. Oh wait, no, my math is wrong. That's twenty five books. <laughs> that's two years. Yeah. Wait. What? <laughs> yeah, that's a book per month. Two years is twenty four months. Then an extra. Well, it'd, be, it'd be thirty if there were five per six. Oh wait, years. yes. Oh gosh, sorry, <laughs> math. Sorry, I was thinking decades. Sorry, we don't mean to make fun of your second language, which is <laughs> <called> mathematics. <laughs> that's my third language, Stephen. <laughs> I'm semi fluent in it math. Goes Spanish, Klingon, math. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I was thinking decades, so I thought 10, and then I was like, no, wait, it's not 10 books. It's half a decade, so it's five books. <laughs> Anyways, three years worth of this. It's a lot. It's, it would be a lot of Spider-Man. And as we all know, Spider-Man can't sell books for three years in a row. That just doesn't happen. No, uh, I mean, how could it? Yeah. I mean, he can't expect a single superhero to carry its own franchise for not even a year, really. <laughs> Oh, uh, fellas, I just, uh, I just, well, you can't see me pushing up my glasses, but I've run the numbers and <laughs> shoot, shoot if Spider-Man has not been around since 1963. Did you know that? <laughs> I mean, on I and off. The, I got the paperwork right here. I mean, on and off. Check your that notes. Dude is un- that dude is unstoppable. Even through the Raimi movies, he's still here. He's still kicking. I mean, I mean, check. Okay, fine. Maybe he can carry a book, but there's no way you could print multiple Spider-Man books in a month. No, actually, uh, we got Spectacular. <laughs> we got Web of Spider-Man. We even got some stuff for Mary Jane. <laughs> oh shoot, Venom. There's a whole Venom. Look at this. Look at that. A whole Venom. They're making a Mor- they're making a Morbius movie. Checkmate, atheists. <laughs> <laughs> If there's no God, how do you explain Spider-Man? <laughs> Through science, my lad. <laughs> no, uh, spider totems. Uh, oh, dang it. <laughs> Can we move on to the rankings? I wish we would. <laughs> Some of us have to go to Chuck bed Sp- soon. Chuck uh, Spritely's going to fire me if I don't slander. get these numbers in. <laughs> oh, also, also, sorry, this is unrelated to Spider-Man. I, but not. Then but why not are you book. bringing it up? Because I this love Stan Spider Man meeting. Because I like the Stan Oh, yeah, box. okay, okay, sorry. Bit, bit over. Stan Soapbox. <laughs> I don't know if you guys were reading those at the end of like, or towards the end of like, like most of the issues in here. I think they all had a Stan Soapbox insert. Um, well, it's, I mean, well, he died in 2018 or 19? 18. I think 18. Yeah. I, I think there's just something interesting because, uh, I mean, clearly not an accident that this is a book about Spider-Man through the ages, and all of these uh, excerpts from Stan Soapbox are from like 1968, which is like five years after Spider-Man was released, uh, and how timeless those are, and yet still relevant to today's world, uh, kind of like Spider-Man is. No, I think it's I think it's them drawing their line in the sand, being like, remember. Marvel, Marvel is not for a holes. Like we don't, we don't put up with the nonsense that you might be seeing nowadays. Yeah. Anyways, uh, I just wanted, I just wanted some of that out there. That's that was a good thing to throw out there. Thanks. But let's let's get to the ranking. Okay. It is time. Let's throw up some rankings, but not throw up. <laughs> okay. Sorry. All right. So we are nearing a hundred books on the list. We currently have ninety-one. 
Woo. Number one is no normal. Number 91 is the evil that men do. Blech. Let's, uh, yeah. Let, let's start by ranking Daredevil. The man without fear. Uh, I feel like I'm going to rate it higher than you guys are going to, so. Here's the thing. I want to, okay, I'm just going to come out and say this. I wanted to put this around where Last Hand or Death of Electra is. Uh-huh. Because um, I, I think it kind of deserves a spot up that high. But the problem is, I kind of prefer reading the like the book, like the next seven books, like the next ten books. I would pr- I would have more fun reading those. But I, I think I, see, this I is... would put it. I think it does a better job um, storytelling wise than Dark Phoenix, and maybe that's not fair because like Dark Phoenix was very much like you know in in continuity every comic could be someone's first comics and, and very clear chris claremont soap opera we're gonna tell you again about these these lovers named star clark and they have powers hated and fear they protect a world that hates and fears so like that's that is as iconic as dark phoenix is this one is a retelling of the origin story and uh succinct and and um does a better job uh, as a story, I think. You know, I um, forgot. I forgot that Messiah Complex and Dark Phoenix were up in those because I went straight to like Runaways and In Pursuit of Flight mm-hmm. and Beta Ray Bill, and I was like, I kind of like those a little better. But mm-hmm. now that you reminded me about those X Men books being up there, I don't feel as bad. <laughs> I feel like I feel like this Daredevil book is probably better than those. See, I would put it after. Uh, Messiah Complex, but that's just because I love Messiah Complex like the most. That's fair. Uh, after after Hawkeye, mm-hmm. after Hawkeye. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I but I enjoyed Daredevil more than Marvels, and so I think that puts it right where you were talking about, like close to Last Hand, Death of Electra. But so now we have the general neighborhood. Stephen parked the car. Where are we putting it? <laughs> you don't want me to park this car because I'm going to put it down at 29. You want to put it where? 29. 29. Just above Wolverine. Jeez. Uh, All right. Yeah, like, I don't think it's going to wind up where I want to put it. Yeah, it's not. Again, <laughs> it's not. Yeah, like, I think, and I think that's right. Like, I want you guys to take more of a lead on this one because I think that my, like, this, this not being my thing means I'm going to try to put it lower. But I'm not super invested in putting this one super low. It's just if it were up to me, that's where I'd put it. Okay. Uh, well, then, John, since we have the floor, I'm just going to, I'm going to suggest mm-hmm. putting it at 15. Okay, now hold on. No, I I agree. Motion carried. Moving on. (laughs) All right, cool. Majority rules. Uh. (laughs) Boy, that was fast. Uh. Sorry, Stephen. It's the Electoral College. (laughs) Gotcha. Uh, I am actually super surprised that John's putting this above Runaways. No, I, hey, hey, I love Runaways, and that's the comic that I've decided to kill, collect physically. And eventually, like any comic that features Runaways, I will own, and I own a lot of them now. Uh, but no, I mean this is this is like the Daredevil origin. Like this is this is something special, and done mm-hmm. so well. So like credit where credit is due, because that Runaways art is bad. <laughs> You're and it's, right. You're and right. it's a weird and it's a weird team. There's a kid with a dinosaur. Like it's a weird team. Wait, is the kid with the dinosaur not part of the team? She's part of every version of Runaways that I've read. No, I'm saying it's weird that they have a kid Gert <laughs> having a telepathic link. Like her power is I can think at this dinosaur and it'll eat you. I'm sorry. Okay, first, 
that sounds great. And also, <laughs> that's Moon Girl. Okay, that's different. <laughs> no, it's literally the same. No, I'm I, saying mm. it's a different person. And <laughs> oh, it is different because Moon Girl uh, gets a T-Rex from the past. And Gert Yorks gets a uh, modified, genetically modified Dinonychus. Big old raptor. Uh, from the future, from an alternate future, because her parents were time travelers, I think you, sir, need to read your comics. Wait, they were time travelers? What? Okay, you know yeah, what? Yeah, they were time travelers. Okay, that's, that's a different conversation. That's uh, also a, you didn't uh, read it either. <laughs> it's, it's a different runaways. I don't think the time travel... Well, okay, there were the time travelers. Yes, it right? does. Oh, gosh. Sorry, I was getting I was getting uh, the one guy mixed up with Victor Mancha. Yeah, Sorry. don't question me on the bunch. That's fair, that's fair. Oh, my gosh, okay. Oh, is this what I sound like when I talk about Spider-Man? <laughs> okay, so speaking of Spider-Man. Speaking of speaking of Spider-Man. Here's okay, here's the thing. I actually don't think that life story goes that high, but I do think it's better than Man Without Fear. And if we don't rank it higher than Man Without Fear, I'm gonna be upset. What's the podcast equivalent of taking your ball and going home? <laughs> <laughs> I I want to put it at least higher than Marvel's. Yeah, it is around that. That is like, where I draw the line. <laughs> I don't know that I want to put it much higher than that, though. Um, I'd put it. At, that's where I would put it. Is twelve. Yeah, there's a part of me that thinks Marvels is better. It has better art. Yeah, I mean Alex yeah. Ross. Yeah, Pat Bagley's no slouch, and we've we've pointed out. I don't think we use the names, but um, Bagley did the pencils. Drew Hennessy did the inks. Frank Darmada did the colors. Like good work. Guys, you did you did good. You made you made a good looking book. You're not Alex Ross, and that's not a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who is Alex Ross? Nobody except Alex Ross. I was like, oh. Well, maybe Frank Francetta. <laughs> yeah, but he. I mean, he's dead. So. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what? actually, I think I'm. Let, yeah, let's put it at number twelve. I love getting my way. Yes. <laughs> Oh, this is amazing. We're gonna read all X Men. John, this is like what Aldo and I feel like the whole time. Oh. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Do you guys just float? Do you guys just float everywhere you go, being right all the time, getting your? Well, we way? don't go anywhere anymore. <laughs> John, I just, I just want you to know, I'm happy. You're happy. Hey, good, because, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh yeah, remember places? Do you remember? You guys remember places? You know, I do remember places. Going places. That's my favorite w- way of talking about it. You guys remember concerts? Oh jeez, it it'd been a while since I've been to a concert, even like before. But my buddy got tickets to Rage Against the Machine in Arizona, and he got canceled, and he was really uh, yep. sad. I had concerts. I had tickets to uh, Hatsune Miku, and that got pushed back. <sighs> I had tickets to Mexico. <laughs> Oh. Oh, I love I love when Mexico tr- tours. <laughs> <laughs> Man, there's so much better live. <laughs> Actually, funny thing is, uh, the week that they that like the whole country wanted to shut down, I had tickets to go see Metalachi, and they're like a heavy metal uh, mariachi group. Oh gosh! Holy and crap! That got pushed back till December. Oh, did they fight amazing. crime at night? I oh. uh, I can only wish. <laughs> That's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Anyways, what, is that even, what does that even sound like? I'll, I'll, send, you a, I'll send you a link later. Please do. That's going to bend my brain. Any, anyways, uh, what are we reading next time, Steven? <laughs> okay, so next time is going to be actually a very special episode. <gasps> We're going to talk about uh, drugs and how the police are your friends. <laughs> it's not what I was expecting. Are we going to read Daredevil again? <laughs> uh, no, we are going to be celebrating two years of the Superhuman Registration Podcast. And we're going to celebrate by reading one of the most significant Marvel comics ever published, arguably the first big event comic. We're going to read Secret Wars, the first Secret Wars from, from 1985 or whatever. 84. 84 or whatever. Um, that's 12 full issues of 1980s style Marvel comics, which, you know, are definitely... <laughs> Among our favorite things. It's gonna be wordy. You remember when I said uh, Life Story could benefit from being longer? I'm gonna <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna go out on a guess uh, and just assume that I'm gonna say the opposite of Secret Wars. Oh, I'm sure you're gonna say that. Yeah. Indeed. But but once more into the breach we go. Yep. And on top of that, we'll do some like little celebratory stuff as well, I think. Yeah. I just want to point out, I've had a longer relationship with this podcast than I've had with any other woman. Any other woman? Any woman. <laughs> you have other women in your life besides us? <laughs> you well, know. no, I think that was his point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyways, on that note. <laughs> oh, gosh. If you want to date Aldo, I guess he's probably on Tinder if you're in. I'm in every dating app, even Grindr. Get at me. <laughs> All those very available. And on that note, I um, want out of this conversation. So <laughs> this has been the Superhuman Registration Podcast. We hope you'll join us in another two weeks to celebrate our two-year anniversary. And thank you so much for joining us. Stay safe out there. John, Aldo, look after yourselves. Look after your families. Uh, we'll see you on the other side, I guess. Cool. I'm as available as the farthest parking lot from the grocery store. And wanted as much. <laughs> Does that does that make you feel better? Yes. To to like come up with funny metaphors for how alone you are. Yes. Baby, baby, don't be so socially distant. 